0: Our scripture today is Psalm 19, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. The word of the Lord.
1: If you're new with us, we have been working through the Psalms throughout the entire summer, and we'll finish with Psalm 20 next Sunday. But Psalm 19 has been praised as a masterpiece of ancient poetry. C.S. Lewis even liked it very much, and he had a very high standard for poetry. In our secular society, we've all let's be honest, especially if you're my age or younger, we've all been raised in a post-Christian and a post-modern society uh, where we are taught, if not explicitly, implicitly, we are taught to question everything. Uh, We are taught that there is no objective truth, and if truth exists, there is no way of really knowing it. And therefore, we are taught to question and doubt whether we can really know God. Or trust that there is any truth that God offers. To trust if a book, an ancient book like the Bible, written by people less technologically advanced than we, uh, is trustworthy. Can we really trust a book like the Bible? Is the Bible worthy of our most careful attention? But David, David shows here in Psalm 19 that we can know ...the God of the universe... ...and that we should pay... ...very close attention... ...to the Bible... ...God can be known... ...David believed... ...because he wants to be known... ...he wants to be known... ...and so it is possible... ...and actually he offers... ...he invites us... ...to exchange the untruths... ...that we hold... ...for the truth that he gives... ...and as we look at Psalm 19 today... I want to address three things. I want to to address what nature reveals about truth. What our natural world reveals about truth. I want to talk about what the Bible, what scripture reveals about truth. And I want to talk about what Jesus reveals about truth. As we think about truth from David's perspective in Psalm 19, we're going to talk about what nature reveals about truth what the word of God, the Bible reveals, and finally what Jesus reveals about truth. Now what nature reveals about truth is that it is objective. Meaning, it is not relative. That there really is truth, and the creation itself displays it. David begins in his first six verses by talking about how the wonders of the created world communicate It's maker's magnificence. He begins in the first two verses by saying the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims its handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. He says in verse four, their voice goes out through all the earth and their word to the end of the world. Now, this is a wordless speech, right? The. The sky and the stars and the moon and the grass and blueberries and goats don't speak English or, or German or Swahili to us. Uh, it's, it's a wordless speech. It's a different type of communication. But David lays it out for us poetically. And he, and he offers as his primary example of creation's witness to us, of God's existence and glory. The primary example David uses is the sun, our own son. And he talks about its splendor as, from his perspective on the earth, it rises up into the sky and goes through its daily course and then sets. He actually says that there's no light and there's no heat that come close to matching that of the sun. He says in verse 6, there is nothing hidden from its heat. Now, we know a lot more about the galaxies and the universe scientifically today than David did. And yet, from David's perspective, living in the ancient Near East, in a hot land where he he spent a lot of time in the desert, where there's, there's no cloud coverage and not a lot of rain, and David understood there's nowhere that you can hide from the light and heat of the sun. Actually, John Calvin talking about David's point said this. There's nothing so obscure or despised even in, the most cor- in, even in the most confined corner of the earth wherein there is not some mark of God's might and wisdom to be seen. So David is saying, look, the sun is so great and so bright and so hot that you can't escape it on the Earth you can 't escape its effects, and in a way, David is using the Sun as an analogy for how all of creation gives evidence of the existence of a grand designer, a grand artist, a poet, an engineer who 's made all of it, as you consider creation, especially as you look out into the night sky and consider the heavens. And, and especially the sun, as it runs its course throughout the day, there is no way that you can escape the reality of a creator. James Boyce, the preacher, said, the more one looks, the more the heavens gush forth knowledge. I am not a scientist, so you will, some of you who have scientific training and minds will have to forgive me, but... As I understand it, uh, science over the last 100 years has only confirmed the Bible's claims that the universe had a beginning. Scientists like Edwin Hubble and others discovered evidence that, that the universe is expanding, that galaxies are expanding out at an, in an, an insanely fast speed, uh, that they all had their beginning in one, one mass One original mass and have exploded out from that mass? Even Albert Einstein, when he heard of the idea, scoffed at it. But in the end, when he discovered the evidence for himself, he had to concede that the universe did have a beginning. Our founding fathers in America, they said, we hold these truths to be self-evident in their great declaration. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, all men being created equal. They said these things are self-evident. Well, David here is saying what's self-evident to him is that the world has a maker. It was self-evident to the ancient Hebrews who wrote Genesis and the creation account there. What's self-evident to David is that the world has a grand engineer and a grand artist and poet. And the Apostle Paul picks up on this theme in Romans chapter 1 when he says God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, meaning humanity, they are without excuse. Someone, a scientist, um, a recent scientist who is not a Christian uh, but nonetheless a very intro influential scientist with the NASA program uh, who started the Goddard, the NASA Goddard Center, and his name was Robert Jastrow. Uh, this is what he said. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance, about to conquer the highest, the highest peak. As he pulls himself up over the rock, he is greeted by... A band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. Theologians have called the material universe for centuries. They've called the, the, the created universe that you see and you can observe empirically. They call it general revelation or natural revelation. Meaning the vehicle by which God declares his existence and his power and his glory to his creation. So, in a sense, what David is saying is this, creation speaks. The universe and the stars and the planet speak. By the way, this whole idea that David is sharing with us, the concept of, of natural revelation, declaring the glory and the existence and the majesty of a creator, this underscores the highest motivation to environmentalism. This is, this is the true reason why human beings should actually take care of the planet. Kids, I mean, My kids go to public school, and from kindergarten, it, it is ingrained into our children, recycle. Right? Recycle, buy a small car, right? save the planet, which I think is great. I think that's wonderful. But, but if you look at why our society wants to save the planet, it is, all, it is simply for the reason of having a place for our ancestors to live. From a, from a human perspective, it is, purely, it is purely selfish. David here gives us a reason to take care of our planet. See, to abuse nature, right? to abuse and misuse and to oppress nature is, according to David's logic, is to muffle its voice. When you abuse nature, you muffle, the, 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 besides humanity, the only material witness to the glory of our creator. You muffle nature's voice when you abuse it. But to take care, to take care of the world is to liberate it and allow it to speak of the glory of its creator. So creation reveals that there is objectivity in the world and in your life. That there is a cause. There is a supreme cause, a first cause to all things. There is a source. There is a foundation, which means there's a purpose. There is a purpose to you. If there's a purpose for the sun. There's a purpose for you. And this is why David doesn't stop with nature. This is why he doesn't stop with the vast heavens and with the sun. It's why he goes further than nature. It's why you have to, too. You can't stop with the created world and say, oh, there's a God. Great. Good. Glad we're done with that. No, you've got to go further. You've got to go further. What the Bible reveals about truth is that it is relatable. So nature reveals that truth is objective. If you want to look at it the way David does, but the Bible reveals that truth is relatable, that, that it's communicable, that you can understand truth, that you can receive it and absorb it and allow it to change your perspective There is a God out there, and he's knowable, and he communicates. Look at verses 7 through 11. In verses 7 through 11, David changes the theme, changes the topic. He he says that the scriptures, the Bible, is sufficient to guide us in knowing God. And he starts in verse 7 by saying, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And as he talks about the law of the Lord, he lists several synonyms because comes up with different ways of saying the law of the Lord. He calls it the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord. Interestingly, he says the fear of the Lord and the rules of the Lord. He's talking about the Torah now. David's Bible was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. David's Bible was the history of his ancestors, of the Hebrew generations and families. And finally, of the laws, the rules, the regulations, the principles and standards that that the God of Israel, that Abraham's God, had laid out for them. That was David's Bible. And he goes on to talk about Scripture's qualities. He says in verses 7 through 11, he says... It's perfect. God's law, God's word, God's verbal communication is perfect. He says it is sure. He says it's right. He says it's pure. Keep listening. He says it's clean. And finally, he says it's true. He also lays out the effects The effects, the impact that the word of God has on those who take it in willingly. He says that it is reviving to their souls. He says it makes the simple wise. He says it allows our hearts to rejoice. And it enlightens our eyes. And finally, he says that we are warned by God's words. And then in verse 10, he says it's even better than gold. And he says, it's sweeter than honey. The law of the Lord is sweeter than honey. Now, honestly, when are rules that enjoyable to you? When do you love following rules? Ser- I mean, come on, seriously. Whether it's driving, and you, you see the posted speed limit on the highway, or whether it's, hey... Welcome to welcome to the church nursery. Uh, Welcome to the church Sunday school. We're so glad you're serving. We have some procedures and rules that that we really ask you to follow. Right? Who likes following rules and procedures? So how is it that David could say that the rules and procedures of the God of the Bible are sweeter than honey? We don't typically people don't talk that way about rules and regulations and standards and principles well. Let's let another psalm interpret this for us because in Psalm 34 verse 8 we hear the words, "Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good." You don't know the God of the Bible? Taste him, receive him, experience him, and see and experience that he is good. Similar language. Taste and see that the Lord is good, and The law of the Lord, the communication of the Lord is sweeter than honey. Put those ideas together. And think about this. You know, after a long, turbulent flight in a plane, where you are just praying, Oh, I hope hope the pilot lands this plane. I just hope we get on the ground safely. And when you land, and you just, Oh, I'm so glad to be on the ground again. Or what you know and have seen and have read about prisoners of war. And what do they do when they're finally released and, and they get off of that plane? right? What do you see them do when they, get, they kiss the ground, don't they? Because they know everything that they've been through. And where they've come now is beautiful. David understood to a degree the other religions of the world. He had experienced and knew of the mysteries the brutalities, the ambiguities of the religions and philosophies of his day surrounding his country. And he looked at the Torah. He looked at God's word and he saw that it was beautiful. And as he got to know the God who wrote this and saw that he was good, he began to appreciate his words and God's principles. That's why he could say that, that the words of the Lord, the laws of the Lord are sweeter than honey. Because as you begin to know and experience the God of the Bible, you you begin to appreciate what he says. And what is important to him becomes important to you. So theologians have spoken of the word of God as special revelation. You have natural revelation, which tells you there is a God. If you're willing to see it. And you have special revelation that tells you who he is, what he's like what he loves, what he expects, what he intends for you, what his purposes are. And actually, the Westminster Confession of Faith begins with these very words. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable, yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of his will which is necessary Unto salvation. Therefore, it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in diverse manner to reveal Himself and to declare that His will unto His church. And what they meant by that was the prophets appearing to Moses and what Moses wrote down and passed on through the law and then through the prophets and through the histories of the Old Testament and through visitations by angels to people. And the Westminster Divines went on to say uh, that, that after all of this, it pleased God to commit the same, wholly unto writing. So the scriptures reveal God's person, his nature, and his will. And it is very encouraging to me in a life like this, in a world like this, to see that God has not left himself without abundant witness. He has not left himself silent and obscured. Although we are a fallen race, God has made himself known. And David saw it in the stars, and he sees it in God's word. But watch what happens in verses 12 and 13 and 14 as he concludes. He gets very personal. He's going to apply the reality of all of this to himself personally. And he says in verse 12, "Who can discern his errors?" If all of this is true, David begins to confess his culpability. David begins to confess the fact that he's not perfect. And he actually goes further than that. He confesses to God his need for mercy. He needs to be declared innocent, he said. So I'm encouraging you to think like David. Consider how David thinks is actually a great way of looking at your life. Since a personal creator exists and has caused us all to be, it is critical that we know him. It is critical that we understand his purposes and follow them. The heavens reveal that that truth is objective. And the Bible reveals that truth is relatable. The heavens declare God's glory and existence, and his word declares his intentions, his purposes, his desires for you. And that's very important. And, and David's humility here, right, his vulnerability here, is very much needed in my life, in your life, and in our world today, because what we tend to do, the Bible says, is we exchange all of this truth that David talks about, we exchange all of this truth for lies. And we embrace the lies instead. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 again. again, He said the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And this is how humanity suppresses truth. Paul says we do it by a very simple but tragic exchange. We exchange God's glory for the creation's glory. We say no to the glory of God, and we give creation the kind of glory that it was never intended to have. Watch what Paul does in Romans chapter 1. Although they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And Paul went on to write, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Now listen to this. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So rather than exalt God as our ultimate reality, as our ultimate guide and our greatest joy, we have made a habit to make anything else our, our, our ultimate treasure. And Paul, the Apostle Paul said, this is what humanity naturally does. This is what we are best at. We exchange the glory of God for the glory of things he's created. Now, you may think you're more sophisticated because unlike David's neighbors, you don't worship reptiles and goats and sheep and dragons and stuff. We're just more complex and nuanced and sophisticated in how we worship created things. Maybe you worship your job or something you've worked for or owned or something you've built or designed. Maybe you worship a person that you gave birth to. Maybe you worship an idea. Maybe you worship a goal that you have. Bottom line is, regardless of of how, how you shake it down, humanity, we are expert. We have our PhD in exchanging God worship for creature worship. Is what Paul is saying. And we do, it, we, we do it so much that we don't even realize we do it. Because what do we call creature? What do we call creation now? We call it nature. Meaning just that, that which is natural. Not that which is created. There's more of an ambiguity to the word nature. And then we watch these hurricanes. And we see these natural disasters. And we realize how powerful how powerful and sublime nature is and how small we seem to be when, when you fly on an airplane and you're above or in the middle of cumulonimbus clouds and you see how small you are. And what the ancients decided to do was, oh, I guess we have to worship the clouds. I guess we have to worship the sun. And David says, no, all of these things are mighty and great, but they are evidence of a grand designer. Nonetheless, we still worship it. We worship anything and everything but God, which is to say we worship what is created rather than worshiping the creator. We do it, we are so inherently prone to this, to this exchange process, we don't even realize we're doing it. Until we do. <laughs> and what do you do when you realize that you're engaged in this exchange process? What do you do when you realize God is, God is not The object of worship in your life. Other things are. People are. Maybe yourself. What do you do? Well, you start to echo David. You start to do what David did when he looked at the sky and when he looked at the Torah. You say what he said in verse 12. Declare me innocent. You plead with your creator. Make me innocent. Make me innocent. And you confess to yourself My God, I have suppressed what is declared in the sky. I have suppressed what is written on the pages of Scripture. And then you say to him what David said. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And here is how you can say that, knowing that he will answer you. Jesus reveals something about truth. The creation reveals that truth is objective. The word of God reveals that it is relatable. But Jesus revealed that it was personal. In the first six verses when David is talking about the creation. And the heavens and the sun. He only uses God as a word once. And it's the word El, It's a generic ancient word for God. And he only mentions it once, but then beginning in verse seven, as he begins to talk about the Bible, he uses, he uses the name and you see it in your English translation as the Lord. Well, this is the name. It is the name God gave Moses to describe himself. It is the because truth is a person and a person is to be known. Have you ever thought about truth that way? That ultimately it's a person. Let's go back to what we read earlier in Hebrews chapter 1. Because the author of the book of Hebrews said of God that in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Whom he appointed the heir of all things. Now listen to this. From also he created the world. He is the radiance glory of God. And the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You see what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the glory of God and the word of God brought together. When Jesus became a human being, another exchange took place. This is why God will answer you if you begin to consider Jesus. Another exchange took place. In the man Jesus, God exchanged his eternal glory for our humility. It was an exchange we didn't ask for, but it was an exchange that he did willingly. And something else happened when Jesus hung on that Roman cross. He exchanged his innocent record. As a human being who always worshipped the creator and never, ex- never did any of that exchanging the truth of God for any lies. He never did any of it. And on the cross, he exchanged his innocent record for our guilty sentence. And that is how it's possible for God to answer David and answer you when you pray these words, Lord, make me innocent. You get Jesus as innocent when you receive him by faith. And this fact of Jesus Christ, which... John chapter 1 actually calls him the word made flesh. The very communication of the creator in human form. The most visible, perceptible, relatable evidence that there is a creator who is glorious is the man Jesus Christ himself. And so Jesus and his cross and his resurrection authenticates that the Bible is sufficient to communicate to you what the creator declared in the heavens is actually like. You look at the stars and you believe there is a God, but you read the word of God. You read the Bible and you know what he's like. And you look at Jesus and you embrace Jesus and you receive Jesus and God becomes your friend. And God becomes your Lord. Knowing and enjoying your creator is possible because truth is a person. And it's Jesus. And so through Jesus, we have an opportunity to trade in all the lies that we have loved, maybe all our lives, or maybe recently, the lies that you love, you can exchange them by faith. You can exchange them for the truth that God gives. And that's what it means To walk with Jesus. And that's what it means to be a Christian. It's for the first time in your life saying, I am going to stop believing these lies and I'm going to believe God. I'm going to trust him. And as you walk and grow in your Christian faith, we call this sanctification. As you walk and grow in your Christian faith, it is a process where you continue to say no. To the lies you have believed. To the lies that you have learned from the world. To the lies that keep creeping back into your way of thinking and your way of speaking and your behaviors and your plans and your ambitions and what you think is important in your life. It is continually saying no and no and no to these lies. And what's amazing is that over time, over time, you will begin to say the word of the Lord is pure and it is better than gold and it is more sweet to me than honey because it reveals to me my creator Who on the cross, it traded places with me. So you look up at the sky. You know, when when there isn't all this light pollution, maybe go out five miles from here. You look up into the sky and you just say, wow. There is a God. Or you say, God, reveal yourself to me. And then you open the word of God. You open the Bible and you begin to see what he's like and what he loves and what he hates But it's a good hate. It's a righteous. It's a pure hate. It's not the kind of hate that you and I commit. And you begin to love what he loves. You begin to love him. Taste and see. That the Lord is good. Let's pray. Father as we sung those words. Earlier today. uh, That we desire to live. Alone by mercy. I pray that. Your creation and your word would reveal to us that we must live by mercy. Otherwise, we cannot approach you in your presence. Thank you for making yourself known. And we praise you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. May we all trust him. Amen.